Good morning. If you're visiting today, uh, welcome. We are in our study of Luke today, once again, um, in Luke chapter 20, as Joel just read. Uh, we're in the last week of Jesus' life, uh, at least in his earthly ministry. Um, it is Wednesday of the Passion Week. He has come into town on Monday. He came in and he inspected the temple. He was received by, with great praise from the people. Looks like everyone believes that he's the Messiah. They're praising him. Uh, Hosanna in the highest. Uh, what they said in the, the beginning when Jesus was born, they're saying now he's come into to town to rule. Um, problem is they think that he's coming in to dethrone Rome. And so they're praising him. They think he's their military Messiah, but that's not why he's there. It's not why he's come. Uh, and they'll figure that out in a couple of days and kill him on Friday. On Tuesday, he came back into the temple after inspecting it on Monday and uh, completely destroyed it, at least destroyed the, um, the tables of, of merchandise and how God's place, God's church, I should say God's temple, uh, was being desecrated. And no one messed with him. I've always found that interesting. Uh, no one messed with him. This was a huge operation run by the, the ex-high priest, the deposed high priest named Annas. Uh, and Jesus began teaching in the temple on that day. And then he came back on Wednesday and, ta- and taught again. Uh, in our context, his, uh, his authority has been questioned. They're wondering, how is it that you think you can come in and destroy uh, what's going on in the temple? And who gives you the right to teach? What is your authority? And so they ask him at the beginning of chapter 20, who gives you the right to do this? Uh, and Jesus asked a question of them. Without answering their question, he said, okay, I'll answer your question, but you answer mine first. John the Baptist, was he sent from God or not, or from men? And they get around their little huddle and, and they try to, they, they go back and forth and they say, well, if we say from God, then he's going to say, why didn't, you, why didn't you follow him? If we say that he's from men, then the people here are going to stone us because they think he's a prophet. So they become agnostic that day. We don't know. And so Jesus says, then neither. Well, I answer your question of where I get my authority. You won't get it. If you can't understand that John the Baptist's ministry was that ministry that paved the way for me, for the Messiah, you're not going to understand my answer. So I will not answer you. We see a judgment in this. Jesus' judgment upon those who are just willfully um, skeptical, don't want to believe what's right in front of them. So Jesus doesn't answer him. Then he tells a, a parable about them. He tells a parable about a landowner, this man who owns us land. He goes off for a long time. He's got uh, to go do something over the next couple of years. He hires some tenants to farm his land, and he sends people from afar to go get some of the produce of the land. He sends a couple of people. They beat him up. Um, and then he sends his son to kill him. And they think that if they kill the son, that they can keep the land. And Jesus asked, what do you think the landowner is going to do when he comes back to town? And the answer was, he's going to destroy those tenants. Well, the parable is about Jesus. I'm sorry, it's about God the Father who is the landowner. And the land is representative of Israel as a people, as a nation, and as a land. And the people that the landowner sent to receive some of the, the, uh, the produce of the of the vineyard were prophets they beat those up so Israel rejected God they beat up his prophets and when God sent his son they killed the son and so it says this is where our context is um, we pick up with with uh, verse 19 in chapter 20 verse 19 the scribes and the chief priests tried to lay hands on him that very hour and they feared the people for they understood that he spoke this parable against them so they know that Jesus has just given a story, a parable against them. They know they're the wicked tenants. So when you know you've been condemned, what do you want to do with the person that condemned you? Well, what do you want to do when someone tells you you're wrong? Um, you visit a new church, and Harvest Bible Church, and I tell you that you're sinners. If you don't believe you're a sinner, you're not coming back. 
And by the way, if you're visiting, I like to tell people that they're sinners. I take great pleasure in reminding you of what maybe you're not ready to admit on a regular basis. We have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. I don't care who you are. Some are worse than others, no doubt. But we have all fallen short. We're all the losers in this. And the the wage for our sin is what, class? It's death. Death. That's pretty extreme. We've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory, and the wages of our sin is death. The good news is that God sent his son to die our death while we were still sinners. He didn't wait for us to get good. That's what Romans 5, 8 says. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Remember, we have to pay the penalty of our sin. That's death. He paid the sin for us. He paid the debt for us. We don't owe God anything anymore if we will receive the Messiah who died our death. Isn't that great news? It's Christmas. You know that's why he was born, right? He was born for that. For me to explain that to you, for any prophet or preacher or evangelist to tell you that what I just said. He was born to live our life and die our death so that we as wicked sinners could receive him and have our sin debt paid for. I mean, that's awesome. He wasn't born just to be a cute little baby and give presents. I don't know, we do it a strange way here. Everybody gives presents. It could, we don't even need Jesus to have Christmas here in the United States, do we? Who needs Jesus to have Christmas? Give gifts. Heck, we have Christmas year-round. We've got an Amazon account. Christmas, 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 Christmas. Those Amazon drivers are getting Christmas every single day. And you know the one day of, of the year that they can't get there? Christmas. They know that he's spoken against them. They, they're the wicked tenants. They don't yet know that they're going to kill the son, but they're trying to. In fact, where it says there in verse 19, it says the scribes, scribes are lawyers. They're the people that, that they actually write out the law. We have the scribes to thank for keeping the, the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, intact, writing it down. They're very meticulous. When you write out the law, you know the law. You are a scribe, a lawyer. You know what the law says. Most of them are Pharisees. They're conservative Pharisees. They're very legalistic. They believe God's word. That's why they transcribe it. And the chief priests, the chief priests are typically what we call Sadducees. Um, these, this is a, more, it's a different group than the Pharisees. Uh, the Sadducees only, only accepted uh, the first five books of the Bible. We call them the books of Moses. Uh, in Hebrew, the word is Torah. In Greek, it's Pentateuch. You've heard both, right? The first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the, the books of Moses. That's the Sadducees. They believe that, and they, they think, it looks like they're conservative because they don't accept any of the other writings. That's all outside stuff to them. The Pharisees and the scribes accept the rest of the Old Testament, from Genesis to Malachi, although their Bibles are not necessarily in that order. But they're going to, they're not just going to go away and say, ah, he's crazy. They want to lay hands on him. They want to seize him, Matthew says, to seize Jesus. Quite frankly, people, they want, these people, I should say, want to grab Jesus by the throat and choke him to death. They are infuriated over what he said. No one likes to be condemned, not in a parable, not to their face. They're trying to arrest him. By the way, Matthew's gospel also says that the, uh, the Herodians and the Pharisees were part of this. Luke is a little bit more, when you compare Luke with Matthew and Mark, that they say the same thing. Luke is a little, little more, uh, summarizes it a little bit more. Leaves out some of the details. But there's, he's pretty much offended everyone on the Sanhedrin, which is the, the Jewish Supreme Court. 
Pharisees, Sadducees, chief priests, scribes. And they're all presided over by the, the high priest, who at this time's name was Caiaphas. And they want him dead. In fact, um, when you look at these different groups, they all hated each other. But they share one thing in common, a common mutual hatred for Jesus. And so they come together to get him. Early on in Jesus' ministry, back in Mark chapter 3, verse 6, uh, Mark uh, records that Jesus, as does Matthew and Luke, that Jesus uh, healed a man on the Sabbath day. In this particular case, it was a man who had a shriveled hand. He didn't have a full arm. He was born with a, a shriveled hand. Odd looking, but Jesus told him on the Sabbath day of all days, a day of worship in the, in the synagogue, hold out your hand. And Jesus healed his arm and made his arm into a, a, a natural, fully developed arm. Now, that's a miracle. He didn't say, you got back trouble. Come over here, let me, let me rub a few joints here and boom, and go away. Hey, I feel better. I've been healed. Not like that. I always figure a good miracle would be some guy who lost his leg in Vietnam War and came back out of a Benny Hinn concert with a leg. But that never happens because those guys are not healers. They're charlatans. Jesus healed. But this didn't just impress everybody when he healed this man with a shriveled arm. They all got together to kill him. And it says in Mark chapter 3, verse 6, which is early on in Jesus' ministry, here we are late in his ministry in our context today, they got together, the Herodians, with the Pharisees and discussed how they might murder Jesus. They have wanted him dead from the beginning. Now, the Herodians are, are a political group. They're not even religious. They follow the, the te- not the teachings, but they're, they're political proponents of Herod the Great and his sons, Herod Antipas, Herod Archelaus, Herod Philip. Uh, they're political guys. They don't like the Pharisees. Pharisees don't like them. Neither do any of these religious leaders. But they're all trying now in their mutual hatred for Jesus to arrest him. But they understood uh, that the people loved Jesus. So they can't do that in public. Verse 20. So they watched him. That is, all the chief priests, all of Jesus' enemies, they watched him. That's Jesus. And they sent spies who pretended to be righteous. You know people who pretend to be righteous? You know these types, right? But isn't it sad as we celebrate the birth of God in flesh that this is what it's come to? This is what it's come to in his ministry? Mind you, this is God who came out of love for his people to offer rescue for sinners. He healed the sick, gave sight to the blind. He loved the unloved. He touched those that no one would touch, lepers, Filthy people who, who, who laid on the wayside and no one wanted to have anything to do with. Jesus touched them. He loved them. He healed them. He forgave their sins. He did nothing wrong. And over the course of his ministry, three and a half years, this is what it's brought him to him. They're now sending spies to catch him. And who is the they? Religious leaders. Not Satanists. Religious leaders. Religious people. Listen to me, folks. Religious people hate Jesus. Religious people want nothing to do with Jesus. They make a Jesus of their own doing. They're meeting in churches today right now. They are celebrating Christmas, but they hate Jesus according to the way God has given us in the Scripture. They don't like him. All you got to do is give someone the real Jesus, and they go, I don't believe that. Tell people they're sinners. I don't want to hear that. I don't come to church to be told I'm a sinner. I want to leave having felt good about myself. Wrong church. 
Oh, I want you to feel good about yourself. I want you to feel good about how God has saved your wretched sinfulness through his grace, by his grace, through his mercy and love. That's what I want you to to go out in victory going, I don't feel good about myself. I praise the Lord God Almighty who saved my wretched soul. What a great God. That's what I want you to rejoice in. I had a guy tell me years ago, I left, I was in a Longview, a church in Longview, went out and he was shaking people's hands at the back, as a good Baptist preacher does, and uh, notice I'm not at the back, normally I'm not a good Baptist preacher, come to think of it, I'm not even Baptist, but um, he was shaking hands and he said, uh, did you have fun? Did you have fun? Anyone ever been asked that by me? Did you have fun at Harvest Bible Church? I mean, I want you to have fun, don't get me wrong, I think fun's good, I've never had it, but I, I would like... <laughs> Certainly not in church. That's not true. That's a better word. Did you worship the Lord God Almighty? That is so far beyond fun. I've done both. I've had fun. And I've worshiped God, and there is no comparison between the two. And so they are out to get him. You're speaking this parable against us. They're watching him. Jesus knows it. He's teaching in the, in the temple there that he's cleared out. And they're spies, and they're pretending to be righteous in order that they might catch him in some statement so that they could deliver him to the rule and authority of the governor. The governor is Pontius Pilate at the time. They questioned him, saying, Teacher, this is what what people do who are out to catch you. We know that you speak and teach correctly, and you're not partial to any, but teach the way of God in truth. Folks, I don't know what the Greek word is for this, but this is what you call a schmoozer, a hypocritical schmoozer. I know that somebody come up to me and say, Lance, I know that you speak with great authority and you're correct in everything you say. You're not partial. You're a really good guy. What's coming after that, I don't even want to be there for. It's a trap. Imagine this, husbands. Honey, you are the greatest husband that I could have ever wanted to marry. Everything you say is correct and wonderful. And I have loved you since the day we married. What do you think is coming next, guys? She's, she's buttering you up. That goes both ways. We know that. This is what they say. We know that you speak. Teacher, just to call him teacher is, a, is schmoozing. It's didaskalos, one who, one who speaks forth like a rabbi. They don't think he's a rabbi. They don't like him as a rabbi if they do. You speak, you teach correctly. Then why are you setting a trap for him? If you really thought this, I would tell them, why aren't you on your knees worshiping him? No, they're setting a trap. You're not partial to any. That means that you don't give preference to one person over another. You you are not swayed by what other people think. You preach on authority from God. You don't quote this guy and that lady. We know all this. But they've come together in their little holy huddle and they've come up with a question that they think is going to, to make Jesus um, one way or the other. Whichever answer he chooses, they're going to be able to get him. Remember, the Herodians are a political group there and you've got the rest of a religious group. So this is where it comes from. They ask, is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should I pay taxes? The question essentially reflects the Jewish hatred for Rome, the Caesar is the leader at this time. The Caesar, his name is Tiberius. He reigned from AD 14 to AD 37. 
Uh, he followed on the heels of uh, uh, Caesar Augustus. But he's the Caesar at the time. Caesar coming from Julius Caesar. It's just their title, like president. It's their emperor. Jews hated paying taxes. Do you feel their pain? We don't necessarily like that either. We would rather just have the, the burden of giving to God's church, giving to God's work. Some people resent that as well. But they hate Rome. They've got their own taxes to pay to their own temple. And on top of that, they have to pay for a pagan ruler to rule over them whom they hated. So they're asking Jesus, is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, if he says yes, now he's going to, by the way, they're paying it. They have to pay it. They just want to know, is it right? Do you think it's right that we should do it? If Jesus says, yes, it's right, then he falls into the trap where he's telling his fellow countrymen, yes, it's right to pay your hard-earned money to a foreign pagan nation that hates God. That doesn't sound good. Uh, On the other side, if he says, but no, it's wrong to pay taxes, he's got the Herodians there, this political group, that are going to go straight to Rome. They're in the Roman emperor's side pocket. That's what Herod the Great and his sons were. You can say, he's telling the people not to pay taxes. The trap is set. He knows their trickery. He even says earlier um, where Jesus knows their trickery. He knows what they're doing. There it is in verse 23. He detected their trickery. And he said to them, show me a denarius. A denarius is a coin, by the way. And it's got the likeness of Emperor Tiberius on it. Remember, A.D. 14. AD 37, um, on this coin, it says on the backside, it says Pontifex Maximus, means high priest, or the chief priest of the world. He's God. Pontifex Maximus, it says the Caesar, the Augustus, the great divine Augustus. It's a guy who really likes himself and prints it on his coins. Back then, they didn't have an internet. You can't go around and, and say, here's who's now the president, here's the new emperor, uh, there's no texting, there's no CNN or Fox News, that's not there. So the way that you advertise who you are is you, you mint your coins with your image on it. I'm in charge, it's my government, this is my money, it distributes out, and this is how the economy works. Remember, we've learned in the, pra- in the past that the Pharisees are lovers of money, they love money. And so I think it's interesting. I, I'm reading into it here, I, admittedly, but uh, the fact that they're able to, to produce a denarius, what is, what's one of the, the commandments of God that says, thou shalt not make a graven image? That's a graven image on a coin. So a good Jew wouldn't even have a denarius anywhere near them. It's a day's wage, by the way. A little coin, it's equivalent to a day's wage. So you work all day, eight hours or 10 hours, or however long you work, that's your wage for the day. That's the tax. It's called the poll tax. It's different than their other taxes, but every year the Jews had to pay a poll tax, and it was a denarius. One day of your work life gone to the government. That's in addition to all your other taxes. Who wants to pay that? And so he knows their tricker. Show me a denarius. Somehow or another, there was a denarius among them. And he says, whose likeness and inscription does it have? They said, Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, wouldn't you love to be able to give the great, succinct answers like this and shut everyone up who's out to get you? I would. Whose inscription is it? They said Caesar's. And he said to them, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. There you go. Look, if the image is of Caesar on the coin, then it's his. Give it to him. It belongs to him. And give to God the things that are God's. 
do we not bear the image of God and every one of us? Whether we're Christian believers or not, we bear the image of God because we are all made in the likeness of God, in God's image. We're not God's. God made us. We are human. He is divine. But we are in his image. So he's essentially saying, pay the government what's owed to the government and give to God what is God's. That's you. Well, how do you answer that? Trap avoided, right? And this is what they do. This is how you know you've had a good answer. And it's just one sentence. And they were unable to catch him in saying, in a saying in the presence of the people. And being amazed at his answer, they became silent. Isn't that just fantastic? They became silent. They had no answer. He avoided their trap. Watch out when you're going to ask Jesus a question. He shuts everything down. You go back to John chapter 8, and you see the the woman caught in adultery. They bring her. Jesus, um, what do we do with? Law Moses said to kill her. What do you say? Well, they're wanting him to say, yep, the law Moses said kill her, kill her. But that means you're not graceful and no mercy in you. So Jesus just goes right down the middle. Okay, yeah, kill her. First one among you who has no sin, go ahead and let him be the one to throw the first stone. They all went away. They all know they're sinners, probably the exact same kind of sinners. Does this passage teach us we're supposed to pay taxes? Yes, but that's not why it's here. Do we pay our taxes? This denarius, uh, Matthew calls it uh, um, a on, which is where we get the word census. Uh, so it's a census tax. Pay your census tax. Here's a little bit more. We don't want to pay it. Jesus, should we pay it? He shuts them down. These are, verse 19, the scribes and the chief priests, the ones that wanted to lay hands on him. We'll get him here. He'll fall into our trap. He didn't. So the next group follows up. Hey, y'all, since y'all failed, move out of the way. The Sadducees are coming in with their question. So they have a scenario. Sadducees, remember I told you earlier, Sadducees uh, don't believe in any books out in the Bible other than the first five books, the Torah or the Pentateuch. So they get everything they believe from the Torah or Pentateuch. They do not believe in life after death. In fact, I speak of them in the past tense because after the, uh, Jerusalem was, was destroyed in A.D. 70, they, they were destroyed. The Sadducees went with them, um, as did the rest, we should say. Um, they say there is no resurrection. That's what Luke says in parenthetical marks here. He also tells us that because uh, Luke writes the book of Acts. He tells us in Luke 23 that the Sadducees didn't believe in a resurrection and they didn't believe in angels. And as I told you, they don't believe in the rest of the Bible. So after the chief priests and the scribes and the Herodians have been put off, the Sadducees come in who say that there is no resurrection. Verse 28, and they question Jesus saying, teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies having a wife and he is childless, his brother should marry the wife and raise up children to his brother. This is called the law of the Leverite marriage. Law of Leverite marriage. You can read about it in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 5 and 6. And it goes like this. If a man and a woman are married, uh, the man that you own land, you're one of the tribes of Israel, you have a section of land in your property, uh, you have a son and your son, uh, they manage that property after you die, and on and on and on. So if a man and wife don't produce a child, if the husband dies and the wife is there, she's, she's widowed, she's supposed to marry her deceased husband's brother. He impregnates her and that child is the dead husband's son. And that way the land, everything stays in the family. That's the law of Leverite marriage. So they present him a scenario where this happens over and over. 
Perhaps it actually happened. Perhaps they knew of a scenario where this actually did happen. I think they're just making it up, but it could be one way or the other. So they said, uh, um, Moses' law says this, this law of love is right marriage. So verse 29, they come up with their, with their trap. Now there were seven brothers, and the first took a wife and died childless. And the second and the third married her, and in the same way, all seven died, leaving no children. Finally, the woman died also. This is just a sad story, isn't it? Let me ask you this. If you're that fourth or fifth brother, what are you thinking? But they all die, and no child is produced, and then the woman dies. It's a terribly sad story. Finally, the woman died. In verse 33, I think that their sarcasm is put, this emphasis is put on the word resurrection. Remember, because they don't believe in the resurrection. In the resurrection, therefore, which one's wife will she be? For seven had married her. Now, whoever asked this question is probably smiling ear to ear, rubbing his hands together, going, got him. Just like the other guys thought they got him. Their question um, assumes that what happens in the afterlife is the same thing that happens in this life. That's the assumption. Folks, don't make that assumption. It would be erroneous for you or me to assume that what happens in the afterlife mimics what's going on now. Aren't you happy about that? But there are some things we want in the afterlife that we have now. We want to be with the people we love, right? Be with your children, your spouse. Uh, We want to be married and have our own little home and finally have our wonderful home and we get to live happily ever after. We might think that, but that's not the scenario of heaven, which is kind of strange because these are the things we love. And it's hard to imagine an afterlife that does not include that. I recognize that. But it assumes that, number one, there is no resurrection, and number two, if there is, then it's going to be the same in the afterlife as it is here. So, you've got a woman who finally died. She's been married to seven men. There are no children, and he's saying, in the resurrection, whose wife will she be? Jesus has to rub his beard and think, hmm, I hadn't thought about that. Wow, you Sadducees, you really are sad, you see? You can't pass up that dumb joke, but that joke has to survive until the rapture. Oh, when I heard it, I was, it was a dad joke then, it's a dad joke now. Jesus said to them in verse 34, Luke doesn't record what Matthew does, but Matthew says essentially, you are in error because you do not understand the scriptures. How many people do you think fit that category with or without this question? You are in error because you do not understand the scriptures. It it might apply to every single one of us here today at some level. Jesus is saying, at least in Matthew's gospel, you're going to be in error about everything you think unless you understand the scriptures. Folks, let me step up on my soapbox real quick. I'll, I'll step up and step down. I don't understand people who call themselves Christians who have not read the Bible. I don't think you can call yourself a Christian if you have not read the Bible. You do not know God from the radio station. You do not know God from a cloud formation. Well, you can know there is a God. You cannot know the saving power of Jesus, why he died on the cross, why he had to die on a cross, unless you read the Bible. Now, if you want to skip the long one and go to the short one, go straight to the New Testament if you must. 
But the New Testament is a continuation of the Old Testament. Please, I'm still on my soapbox, please. The new year is coming up. Read your Bible this year. We are going to provide a class this year starting in January that's going to help you work through it. Because some people say, get started, they get going. Genesis is great. First part of Exodus is great. Bam, they hit Exodus 21 and uh, we're going we're to help you through it. We're going to work you through it. We might even have a few stars that you can have. We'll have a poster board with stars on it or something, if that helps. We want you to read the Bible. If, I can't say it enough. I used to plead with my son um, when he was a child, just make your bed. Just do it. And you always have that dumb kid-like question of why? Why should I make my bed up? She's going to get messed up the next day. Why eat? You're only going to get hungry again. Why? Because I want to reward you. I want to reward you for just doing what I said, whether you understand it or not. And I think about that with God. God is saying, just do what I say. I have revealed myself to you in my word, in a Bible. It's without error. Read it and get to know me. Pray to me, but when you pray, you're talking. If you'll shut up and listen to me by reading the word, I'll speak to you. Hard to hear somebody talking when you're talking. Pray less. Read more. Because what it means is you're listening more. And everyone knows that listening is better than talking. Read the word. We are in error because we do not understand the scriptures. That's what Matthew told them. Luke doesn't say it, but I have to put that in there. So they give them their scenario. And Jesus said to them in verse 34, the sons of this age, now he's speaking of people, sons of this age to include daughters, the sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. In other words, we get married. In our day and age, in the world in which we live, God ordained marriage way back in Genesis chapter 2. We marry. We marry the person we love. We have families. That's then, that's now. But verse 35, but those who are considered worthy to attain to that age... And the resurrection from the dead. Now, by saying those, that means it's somewhat exclusive. He's not saying everyone is going to be worthy to attain to the age and the resurrection, which, by the way, you Sadducees don't believe. But note that. He's speaking of the people of this age. We get married. But there are some from this age who are, in fact, considered worthy to attain to that age, that age of the resurrection, from the dead. Note, Jesus says, they neither marry nor are given in marriage. There is no marriage, apparently, in the afterlife, whether heaven or hell. But he's talking about those who are worthy to attain to eternal life in heaven. There's no marriage. I love my wife dearly. I've been married for over 30 years to her. And if there is marriage, I want to be married to her. I want to be with her. That is what I think about. I think about her. I love her. I love her, her company. I love her personality. I love her cooking. I love to be with my wife. Um, and so I can't imagine life without her. And I love my children. And I want my kids to have a, a nice big cosmic mansion near mine. Or, or whatever mode of transportation God has where I can be hop, skip, and a jump with my children. And, and you do too, don't you? That's how we think of the afterlife. It's not that way. It's better. It's got to be. It's where God is. It's where he dwells in, he, in uh, eternal and, and 
eternal light, blinding light. And when Jesus says they're going to be worthy to attain to that age, he's talking about those who have placed their faith in him. They will be resurrected. They neither marry nor are they given in marriage. Verse 36, for they cannot even die anymore because they are like angels. Note that word like. That's called a simile. Does it say we will be angels? There's nowhere in Scripture where it says we become angels after we die. You are not an angel. Your deceased loved ones are not angels flying around talking to you. Don't talk to them. They can't hear you. You can't pray to them. You can't look to the sky and say, thanks, Dad. For it. Let me hit that home run. That's not how it works. We are not angels. We become like angels, and we are sons of God because that's what angels are called in the Bible, being sons of the resurrection. Okay, so again, those who are worthy to attain to that age, that resurrection after they die, we know that we will neither marry nor be given in marriage. For we can't die anymore. That's good. There's no more death. We are like angels who don't die, sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. Now, what's the other thing that I told you that Sadducees don't believe in? Angels. They don't believe in the rest of Scripture. They don't believe in the resurrection. Notice how Jesus kind of slid that in there. They're in error because they don't know the Scripture. The resurrection is taught elsewhere in the Bible. It's taught in, I was just listening to one of my favorite Christian songs this morning by Brent Bourgeois, Blessed Be the Name. Uh, It's about Job, uh, where where he quotes from from, uh, Job chapter. Gosh, it just eludes me where where it is. Is it Job? I can't even remember where it is now. Uh, But it'll come to me in the middle of the night. Where Job says, in my flesh, I, I will see my Redeemer. My Redeemer shall stand on the earth. And in my flesh, I shall see God. Isaiah 26, verse 19, speaks of the resurrection. That's Old Testament. But these are books that the Jews don't, or the Sadducees don't accept. Ezekiel 37 speaks of the valley of dry bones coming together. Resurrection. Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, speaks of this resurrection. At the end of the tribulation, the people in the dust will rise. But they don't believe Daniel. You miss a lot when you say, I don't believe these books. I don't believe those books. I believe my books. And so this is why they don't believe in it. They also don't believe in angels because angels are not, the the resurrection isn't spoken of in the Pentateuch. And angels are not spoken of in the Pentateuch. So if that's the only books you look at, you're not going to believe in a resurrection or angels. And so Jesus tells him what people will be like, those who are worthy to that age. He says in verse 37, and he affirms that there is a resurrection and that there are angels, and by default that there are the books of the Bible. Verse 37, but that the dead are raised, even Moses showed in the passage about the burning bush. Remember Moses? Moses wrote five books of the Bible, the five books that they believe, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the books of the law, the Mosaic books. God spoke to Moses, said, write this, speak this. Moses did. These are the ones they believe. So instead of him giving them a lecture and saying, look, you people need to believe in Daniel's prophecy, you need to believe in Isaiah, you need to believe in Job, you need to believe in Hosea, you need to believe in Ezekiel, he doesn't do any of that. He just goes to the books they do believe. Isn't that brilliant? What's he going to say? Remember in the old days, back in in Jesus' day, uh, Bibles weren't put together with chapter 20 and verse 19 and verse this. That didn't come about until the 1500s, folks. 
So Jesus references where he's talking about by saying, but that the dead are raised, even Moses showed, he says, in the passage about the burning bush. So that's where he has to go. He's talking about Exodus chapter 3, verse 6, to us, to them. He says, okay, guys, you believe in the book of Exodus. Let's use that as our proof text. He says, where he calls the Lord, Moses, the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now, get your chronology right here, okay? Abraham lived 2000 B.C. You've got uh, Isaac right after him, Jacob right after him, those early patriarchs. Jacob had 12 sons, the tribes of Israel. One of those sons was named Levi, and Levi later gave birth to a guy named Moses, So Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob predate Moses by hundreds of years. That's all you really need to know about that. Now, we're in the first century. Jesus is quoting. He said, look, let's go back to the book you do like in the passage about Moses saying where God appeared to Moses at the burning bush, and Moses said, who are you? And what does God say? I am that I am. He doesn't say I was that I was or I will be who I will be. I am that I am. The word I am in Hebrew is Yahweh, Y-H-W-H. It's a B verb. The name of God is a B verb. It's an always existing B verb. Tell them I am sent you. That's what God tells Moses. This I am God who is eternally existing tells Moses, I am the God of Abraham, I am the God of Isaac, and I am the God of Jacob. He doesn't say I was. As if to say past tense, those guys are dead and gone. Verse 38, now he is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for all live in him. He just used their books to refute their stupid question. Don't you love it? Don't you wish you were that brilliant and clever? Now he is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for all live in him. Let's just not miss the theology that's there. This doesn't teach that they're resurrected, per se, but it does say they're alive. God is not the God of the dead. He is the God of the living. Abraham shows us from the Old Testament that a man of faith who believes God is what we would call a Christian. He is a child of God. No, they didn't have a Christ, a Jesus of Nazareth to believe in. They believed what God said. And God gave Abraham a covenant, a promise. And Abraham said, Lord, I believe you. And God reckoned that to him as faith, salvation, belief. He gave that to him. You believe in me. And so by the New Testament, we have the same, we have more revelation. We have the Messiah that has come. You and I didn't see him either, but we believe God that Jesus is the Messiah. And what does God do? Same thing he did to Moses, or Moses and to Abraham. He reckons it to us as faith. You believe what I said. You may not understand it. The resurrection is something that people continue to attempt to refute today. We weren't there to see it happen some of us, like, like uh, was it Thomas, I needed to see him. I need to see him rise. I need to see his body. We don't get that. And that's why God told, Jesus told Thomas, blessed are those who believe without seeing Thomas. Do you believe God? That's what salvation is. It comes down to that. I believe God. Well, if you believe God, the question would be, what do you believe about God? If you've never read the Bible, you don't even know what to believe about God. If you've never read the Bible, what do you, what can you believe about God except what you make up in your own sinful mind? God is this. God doesn't judge. God wants to do this. God wants this. God God would never do this. Oh, God will do all the things that you think he won't. Absolutely. Read his word and get to know him and believe him.
I mean, where else are you going to go? What else are you going to do? There's only one God. There's only one plan, and it's glorious. So he tells him, he's not the God of the dead, but of the living, for all live in him. Verse 39, some of the scribes answered and said, teacher, you have spoken well. Well, yeah. Good of you to figure that one out. They did not have the courage to question him any longer about anything. Oh, to see the day. No more courage. I used to think that I was pretty, pretty well-spoken. I know that I'm not now because of that wonderful wife I told you about. Um, we, we've had this argument in the past where I, where I just believe she doesn't understand. You're not understanding what I'm saying. And she had the gall to say this. I understand. I just don't agree. No, 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 no. Back up, baby. If you understood, you would agree. So clearly, you don't understand. And she had the gall to come back and say it again. This woman that I love so much, how is that possible? It's so clear to me, it's not coming out well. (laughs) But for Jesus, God in flesh, there's no courage now. This is the guy that cleared out the temple the day before. Strong and mighty. Physical strength and power. Strong and mighty in word. You can't trap him. Folks, this is where we're all left at the end of the day. Speechless. Except the following. You are Lord and God. I bow to you. This is why he was born. This is why we celebrate his birth. What's the song we sang? That beautiful song, that third song. And he shall reign forevermore, forevermore. Unto us a child is born, and he shall reign forevermore, forevermore. He will. Will you be with him? Will you be with the reigning God? I've put on your bulletin there what's often called at the number five down there, the the trilemma. What is the trilemma? Not a dilemma, it's a trilemma. There are three options. The scribes, Pharisees, Sadducees, chief priests, Herodians, they're all staring at the Messiah. They've seen his works. They've seen what he can do. He's more powerful than anyone they've ever, ever imagined. More powerful than the Messiah they imagined would come into town. And they don't believe him. They don't want him. Probably because he would take their power away. You can either take Jesus, you can do one of three things, just one of three things. Number one, you can call him a liar. Just say, well, Jesus lied to us. He came to this earth, and he told us that he was the Messiah. He said all of these things, and he knew he wasn't. He was a liar. Like a David Koresh or a Jim Jones and all the other false messiahs that have come around. He was lying. He knew it. Does that fit with the, with the ethics that Jesus taught throughout his, his ministry? Is he a liar? Do you believe that Jesus just lied to us and prevailed upon his apostles who wrote down those lies? They were duped. You have that option. You can say, I don't believe Jesus. He was a liar. Option one. Option two. He was a lunatic. Three L's. Oh, he didn't. He wasn't lying. He thought he was the Messiah. He was just so deluded, he thought that he was the one. Like, you know, name your false Messiah from the past. He wasn't God, but he thought he was. 
All the things that that crazy people do, that's what Jesus did. (laughs) None of the people around him attest to that. Um, No one could throw him off as a lunatic. A lunatic comes from the word lunar, or the word moonstruck. It's one who howls the moon. You know, what do you do with somebody who's howling at the moon? You hope it's just a, a wolf. But if it's a person, you're going, I'm not going to that guy's church. So, was he a lunatic? Do you disbelieve Jesus? Not because he's a liar, because you say, I don't believe in Jesus, he was a lunatic. Thought he was God and wasn't God. Hmm. When you look at his, his enemies and what his enemies said about, um, about his activities, they had to make up lies like the empty tomb. Oh, tell everybody the disciples stole the body. That's what Matthew 28, 16 tells us. Tell them that, that they stole the body. We know it's empty, And we can't explain it, but just spread that lie. They could not answer him in these scenarios. They're all silent. They don't think he's a lunatic. They don't know what to do with him. So you either have to say, I don't believe Jesus because I think he's a liar, or I don't believe Jesus because I think he's a lunatic. You're only left with one option. He's Lord and God. If he's not a liar and a lunatic, then he is the Lord God. Lord, liar, or lunatic, then he actually is who he says he was. That his ability to heal and forgive sins, which only God can do, means that he's divine. There's not two gods, there's one God. One God who exists eternally in three distinct persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. He must be the Son. That's what the Bible says. The Son praying to the Father in the garden The Spirit coming after the Son when Jesus leaves. So you say, I believe in Jesus because I believe that He is the Lord. I believe that He is God. Folks, if you don't believe Jesus is God, you don't believe in Jesus. Jesus is God. He is God become man. Why? Why did God become a man? I'm glad you asked. So I close with this. Why why was God born? Why did He take on flesh? Ah, I remember the story of, of uh, Paul Harvey used to tell the story of the birds. How many of you remember the story of the birds? He's told it around Christmas time. He tells a story about birds where these birds, um, one man, he, his family goes off to Christmas Eve service, and he stays at home. And he's in the quietness of his home, Christmas Eve. Here's the church bells out in the yonder, and uh, he hears a thud against the window. And it's these birds They're trying to get into the house. It's freezing outside. And they're gathering out in the yard, and he sees that they're going to freeze to death. He wants to help them. He doesn't know what to do. How can I help these birds? And so he comes up with some ideas, and he goes out, and he's got a barn out back. And he opens up his barn. It's a terribly cold, bitter evening on Christmas Eve, and he drops food to try to hope the birds would follow the food into the barn so he could shut them in and help them out. But they were afraid of him. He tries to go out and say, birds, get in there and shoo them in. But they won't listen to him. They're afraid of him as birds are, humans. And this man thought, the only way, if I could just become a bird, I could lead those birds into safety. If I could just be a bird. Isn't that the picture of what God did? If I could just become a man, I will speak to them. I will live their life. I will do what they couldn't do. I will die the death that would take them to hell. I'll die it 
I will show them the way. In fact, John 1.18 says that Jesus is the, the exegesis of God. The exegesis is not exegesis. It means to, to explain. Jesus is the explanation of God. How can we understand God? God became man to explain it to us. To lead us into safety. It's exactly what he did. Do you believe that? That's why he was born. He was born to do that. We celebrate his birth so that we can celebrate his death, so that we can celebrate his resurrection, so that we can have eternal life. That, my friends, is Christmas. Let's pray. Lord, how do we just say with words, thank you for being born? We do. I pray that we would not just say it with words, but in our minds, the worship we give you, the adoration we give you, the respect we give you. The time that we would take to sit and listen to you speak from your word. God, transform us with your word. It is such a transforming book. The words are are beyond print on a page. They're you. You speak to us. You transform us. If anyone be here tonight that doesn't know Jesus, open their hearts to the Savior. Challenge them to read your word, to know you love you as you love them as you love us Lord thank you thank you for becoming man and showing us the way thank you for recording it and preserving it and thank you that we get to gather in this place and worship you for that thank you may our lives offer continual perpetual worship of your holy name and in Jesus name we pray been listening to a sermon by Dr. Lance Waldy, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Church in Cypress, Texas.